Scarantino, and this is the Get the Fuck Off podcast. Every week, I'm going to be talking about a new topic to help you guys get the fuck off the shit that doesn't serve you anymore. But first, let me tell you a little bit about me. I used to work as a bartender, and I lived in the New York City bar scene. I smoked between a pack or two a day, and I was what you'd call quite overweight. I learned that the secret to adopting a healthy lifestyle is a series of mindset shifts. Unfortunately, they don't always come with an owner's manual, so I decided to start this podcast to give you guys the nuts and bolts without you having to do all the research on your own. Getting healthy does not mean you have to sacrifice your outstanding personality, and it actually can be quite a fun journey. I'm really excited to have you guys on that journey with me. Let's get off together. Welcome back, everybody, to the Get the Fuck Off podcast. I am here today to talk to you about identity, one of the subjects that is near and dear to my heart in many, many ways. Identity. My first, I think one of the first things that made me want to start doing mindset and transformational coaching was the um, identity piece, the idea that changing your identity does help you make big shifts in your life. And a lot of times when we're in a life that we're unhappy with, what happens is we've wound ourselves really tight neurologically and we have adopted things as part of our identity. So there's a couple of things that I do in my coaching to help people kind of get free of that. And the first is shit with NLP. Um, NLP is Neuro Linguistic Programming. This is not going to be a podcast about NLP. So if you want to figure out what NLP is, go ahead and put that in your Google search bar. Um, and then the next is about identity and how identity can keep us stuck. I've definitely talked about this before. No one listens to old episodes. I know that that's, well, I mean, they might, but the old episodes generally get listened to when they go out and then they're done being listened to. So we're going to talk about it again. Identity. I had this come up yesterday. I went to the bodega and I forgot what I was buying. Club soda, I think. And uh, I was in the bodega. And so let me tell you, in New York, a bodega is like a little corner store and they sell soda and beer and like snacks lotto condoms like overpriced shampoo toilet paper you know all that shit um and uh, we have them we have them everywhere and they all stay in business because generally it doesn't matter what the prices are you go to the closest one to your apartment and the closest one to my apartment is right around the corner I've been going there for 12 years ever since I've been living in my current apartment. And the guy that's in there, he's known me a long time. I was going to buy two club sodas and uh, to have with my dinner because I was on my way home from picking up dinner. And there was a woman in there and she was having a conversation with him about the heat. And she was asking him if she could smell this particular product that he had behind the counter. And he was like, yeah, sure, of course. So he gave her the product and she sniffed it. And she's like, oh, no, 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 no. I'm not interested in that. And he was like, okay, no problem. And he put it back. And she, yeah, she left after that. She bought, I think she bought something, but then she left. And then it was my turn and uh, to buy my club sodas, $2.00. And I said, um, what was that? And he said, that's Grabba. Now, this is, uh, he has a, a thick accent. He's from Bangladesh. But I'm, I'm going to say this in an American accent in the best way that I can remember about our conversation. And uh, he's like, it's Grabba. And I said, well, what is that? And he said, well, it's for people who smoke marijuana, they have, um, 
marijuana is very hard on your throat, so this is to, to make it so that it's not so hard. So that is what I gathered from, from what he said. He gave me that description, but again, it was, it was very, if, if that's not what GRABA is, by the way, that's, please feel free to correct me, but that was what I got out of what he said because it was, it was heavily, it was a heavy, heavy accent. But the one part that, the next thing that he asked me was, do you smoke? And I said, no, not anymore. And I said, oh, you remember? And he said, yeah, because he, he's known me since I was a smoker. I was a smoker more years than I've been a non-smoker. I've only been a non-smoker like four years. So eight of the 12 years that he's known me, he knew me as a smoker. I mean, he was the guy that put down my Marlboro Menthol Light 100s. I think that they were actually called Marlboro Menthol Gold Pack 100s by the end of it because that was changed during the Obama administration, which confused the hell out of the people at Dwayne Reed. Marlboro Menthol Gold Pack 100s. They're looking, but it, it's not gold, it's green. What? It was just, it was such a, it was such an ordeal. A lot of times you go to the bodega to buy your cigarettes, even though they're like, $15 as opposed to $13. That's what they were at the time when I quit. Just because you don't have to have that conversation every single time. So this guy fucking knew. And he's a wonderful guy. And uh, always has been really kind to me throughout the years. He'll keep things in stock that I like. Um, that's what bodegas in New York do for you. Like if there's something that you like and they don't carry, you can just tell them. And then, you know, you come coming in for years, they'll keep it for you. So he was one of those guys. Kept a soda that I liked. He asked me what kind of ice cream I liked, that kind of thing. But as I was leaving, I paid for my club sodas and I was leaving. I was thinking about the question, do you smoke? Um, I have a client right now that wants to quit smoking. She's going to read Alan Carr. If you guys want to quit smoking and you have not read Alan Carr's The Easy Way to Stop Smoking, I highly recommend you do so. It is a fantastic book. Uh, you might say, I want the audiobook. Don't get the audiobook. Make yourself turn pages. This is a book that can be consumed slowly. He recommends that you continue to smoke throughout the book. So just keep turning your pages. I recommend it. It'll it'll creep into your subconscious in that powerful way. I have bought this book for a zillion people and everybody that has read it has quit. There are a couple of them that haven't read it. And guess what? They're still smoking. So I do recommend it. I do know one person who has read it that hasn't quit. Actually, I think it was her mother. She was telling me that her mother read it and didn't quit. I have no idea what happened there. But my success rate with giving people Alan Carr is 100% if they read the book. So maybe her mother didn't actually read it. Who knows? Alan Carr. But Alan Carr does talk about the smoker's identity. When I, so when I was leaving the bodega and thinking about the question, do you smoke? I remember the first time that someone asked me, do you smoke? And I had stopped smoking. And it was such a frog in my throat that I, I was thinking, What? Like, I said, no, I don't, but it was heavy. Like, it was really heavy for me to say, no, I don't smoke because there was a conflict with my identity. My identity had a conflict because my identity was that of a smoker. And part of changing my behavior from being a smoker to a non-smoker was parting with that identity and parting with the smoker's identity, the person who loved to smoke. I would smoke the shit out of some cigarettes. I had a hairdresser in my 20s when I still cut my hair that would say, I love to smoke. I'd smoke in the shower if I could. And that was me. Like, I loved to smoke. I was the person that just, ah, oh, I just, I couldn't, oh, I couldn't, it was beautiful. It was just, it was such a piece of my identity. And it, it was so wed to who I was because I'd started when I was 14. 
And I liked the look of it. I liked the smell of it. And I liked the image of it. So I talked about this in one of my recent episodes about Holly Whitaker in Quit Like a Woman. And she was writing about big alcohol. This isn't going to be a podcast on big alcohol. But you can go back a couple, two episodes maybe. It was one of my sobriety ones. And I was talking about how big alcohol gyps us and plays into the females wanting to be down with the patriarchy to keep them drinking. Well, they did the same thing with smoking. Um... And it was in the Easter parade of, I think, the late 20s or early 30s. Don't quote me because I don't have the stat right in front of me. I I had it correct in the last episode I talked about this. But Holly wrote about how Big Tobacco noticed that women were not smoking in public because of a time when there was a standard for women's behavior and how... um, women would be arrested at one time for acting in certain ways in public so that was no longer and um they wanted women to smoke in public because they wanted women to buy more cigarettes and if they were only smoking in the home their research found that they were the women were primarily smoking in the home but they were smoking their research found that they thought well you know, we want more people to be smoking in public, so we want uh, we want to make a statement. So what they did was they had women, and I do remember this correctly because I live here in New York. Um, it was between, I believe, here I am, I don't remember it correctly. I think 44th and 48th Streets on 5th Avenue during the Easter Parade down 5th Avenue. The year escapes me. Um, And they had them all stand outside and Lucky Strike organized this. So this was a publicity stunt by Lucky Strike having women smoke outside. And they made a big press spectacle of it. And and this was because they found that women who were smoking were smoking in in a way to show their autonomy and their their rebellion against this this, uh, cultural expectation of them. And really fucking rebelling against men if you think about it like the patriarchy right that's what like the patriarchy is what keeps us behaving in a certain way this is all from holly whitaker's quit like a woman i don't have the page number i know i talked about it in a previous episode but she was but i think you can google this probably for a source if you need one but that worked the publicity stunt worked and women continued to buy cigarettes and started buying more of them and smoking in public after this publicity stunt when i smoked and this isn't in the um, first half of the, uh, of the 1900s. I started smoking in the early 2000s. And when I smoked, it was for the same reasons. Because of how it made me look, right? Like I wanted to look tough. I wanted to be manly. I wanted to be masculine. I wanted to be respected. I wanted to be hard. I wanted to be hard. Think about hard. I'm actually a very soft person but my ego is very hard it's very hard masculine that's protective you're never going to meet a a motherfucker as hard as me without a soft interior like it just doesn't exist we have to we have to build the hardness (laughs) because there's something soft underneath but that was my ego and I was building it and I was and I was enjoying it and I wanted to be hard and so my identity was fierce when it came to my cigarette smoking. So letting it go and having people ask, do you smoke? And me saying no was one of the hardest things that I ever did. And eventually, I, I mean, I had to change my whole mindset and the fact that 
everything about non-smoking was beautiful because I was getting my life back. I was getting my freedom back. I became a marathon runner because that is something that badass bitches do. Like less than 1% of the population does that. When I say I run a marathon, I don't mean I run a 5K 3.1 miles. I mean I run 26.2 miles. And I, I know people that run further distances than that. I had one remarkable one, Sabrina Stanley, on this podcast. But 26.2 miles is pretty hard because at that point your body is out of glycogen and it has to shift to burning fat to keep you moving. And there's all kinds of other processes that happen. It's a really hard distance. You cross a threshold that just makes that difference one of distance one of the most mentally challenging things I always say that running is spiritual but marathon running is intellectual it's a very intellectual thing so I I went right from the the smoker's identity to that identity I did I did adopt a new identity and I made I because I'm still at the core of it being tough is is part of my identity and I had to recognize that smoking did not do that for me it made me weak it made me a weak person I didn't look strong I looked weak I didn't look sexy I looked gross I didn't I was undesirable I annoyed everyone around me like I had to really look and say I don't look like Audrey Hepburn or Don Draper I look like a smelly bum that nobody wants to be around that's pissing everybody off because I have to take a cigarette break people are pissed off if I have to take a cigarette break after we eat, people are pissed off. If we go to an airport and I got to wait outside, people are pissed off and annoyed if I have to take a break at work. I am for taking breaks at work, by the way. But, I mean, I've worked with people who have taken excessive cigarette breaks and I would think, fucking hell. Like, what the fuck? You're inconveniencing me. It would be like we'd have a rush at the bar and then as soon as the rush is over and, like, the bar was a fucking disaster, there'd be dishes everywhere. I had a coworker that'd be like, I'm going to go smoke a cigarette. And I'd be thinking, like, I am so mad right now. And, um, that's how people feel about you, by the way. Like, this is, this is how people feel about you. They feel that way about you. And it's, it's good to get in touch with that because your ego is not going to want you to let go of stuff that doesn't serve you. So it's really powerful to look at the identity that you've created and the things that you say validate that identity and then figure out exactly who you want to be or who you're trying so adamantly not to be. I work with a lot of women who, women who struggle with their weight and they're so adamant about not wanting to be like certain people. And when you think, when you get down to asking them, it's always these diet culture people that they don't want to be like. And at the same time, there are things about diet culture that that are correct, like in terms of like serving your body. Like I had somebody that I worked with tell me uh, she's starting intuitive eating. Actually, she's not starting. She's being very successful with it, actually. She's being very successful. She's She's lost weight. She's feeling really in tune with her body more than she's ever been. And she had a conflict in her mind about yogurt because she felt – that she, her body communicated that she wanted some yogurt. And she felt a conflict because she's like, but diet culture says that that's one of the foods that you should eat. So I didn't want to eat that. And I'm like, yes, but not everything that diet culture says is completely off. So what you're wanting to be is that, and this is, this is the, what it really comes down to. 
People rebel against diet culture because diet culture does not function in service of them. It functions in spite. So diet culture tells you that you're broken, you're ugly, there's something wrong with you and you should make yourself fucking miserable till the end of time because you're gross. That's what diet culture says. And what I do is you're beautiful, you're wonderful, you are a light in this world and everything that you do should be in service to yourself. So if your body sends you a strong communicative signal that says you really should have some yogurt, maybe it's missing calcium, I don't know. The, the cells of your body interpret, they have a consciousness of all their own so they interpret what you need and then they send a signal to the brain and then the brain gets your eyes and fixates it on that thing that it wants like if you need iron the cells of your body will go oh, you need some iron sends the signal to the brain brain goes oh you know what i really want to really want a steak tonight mm, get that iron in you know like sometimes you'd be like walking through the grocery store and there'll be something that'll pull to you and you don't even know why you want it but it's because the cells of your body have a consciousness and they realize that at this moment that's the thing that you need so this is a whole other other thing. I talked about that in some intuitive eating podcasts, which you guys can go back and listen to if you so choose. What I was talking about here is mostly that the identity of the diet culture is what keeps people from sometimes doing things that are of service to them. Like, yeah, it's really good for you to exercise, but not because you're a fat oaf who looks terrible and all, and all that other stuff, but because it keeps you cognitively sharp because it keeps your stress levels managed, because it, it helps you release stress, because it helps you live longer. Like there's so many reasons why exercise is good, but people that have been in diet culture view it as something that's in spite rather than service, so they avoid it. And uh, that's all identity. That's all identity and the identity that you've adopted. It's kind of like the smoker telling stories that the smoking makes them something. And it's like, nope. Because a lot of people will leave diet culture and then they'll just they'll just rebel against every single thing that's even moderately associated with it. So then they'll get like really heavy because they'll be like, well, you know, exercise is diet culture. It's like, no, exercise is not diet culture. Exercise is exercise. Diet culture told you you should do it because you're a fat oaf who's ugly and disgusting and no one will ever want to fuck you. Um, but actually you should do it because it's of tremendous service to yourself. So just shifting that identity. And that's what I had to do. I had to shift that identity to realize the things that I was trying to leave behind did not suit the highest version of me. It didn't serve the highest version of me. Those were things. Like just examine your identity. Who do you believe you are? You're not that. I mean like everything that you actually believe you are is ego. That's a deeper talk about consciousness and that's just not 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 usually something that we go too deep into in the get the fuck off podcast but if you ever want to have a talk about consciousness please feel free to send me an email andy a-n-d-e-e at get the fuck off.com i would love to hear from you i have lots of people reach out to me about com about things that they've heard on the podcast that either struck something in them that they really wanted to delve more into or you know any of that stuff so that's that's uh the identity piece with smoking so I also wanted to talk about identity in and I kind of wanted to just lightly go into a conversation that I had earlier today so by the time you all hear this podcast it'll actually be what is tomorrow for me earlier today I was having a conversation with with someone that I that I um she's in one of my communities um but she's also just a really great person and she's a mindset coach herself and she just does this work so we we often will explore these deeper concepts 
and we were talking about identity with regard to weight. And she was talking about how her weight was a piece of her identity when she was much younger. And how she, um, you know, she she thinks about the number on the scale and how she's, you know, knows that it doesn't matter. But it is something that's in her awareness. And she was talking to me about people that she follows online. And so she was like, I know that people, and, I, and I'm paraphrasing here, but she was talking about people. And she said, people seem to have their high school weight like in their minds like well women want to weigh their high school weight even though it's not relevant or serving and uh she was talking about that and I said well who's people like who are these people that want to do this because I don't even remember what my high school weight was like I I remember what cigarettes I smoked in high school Newport 100s talk about that but I have no idea what I weighed in high school it wasn't something that I paid attention to but it also was not part of my identity so she disclosed that it was you know there were coaches that she followed in her feed and they were always talking about the the scale and 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 things like that and she said but obviously just like our reticular activating system the more we focus on something even if it's something that we don't want because she does mindset work if we focus on something that we don't want we still get more of the same she was talking about the feed and I said well the algorithms on social media are based on what you engage with and they a lot of times people will will judge the world and their model of the world by what they're seeing if you guys haven't watched the social dilemma you really should um if you're interested in this particular thing if you're not interested in this particular thing don't fucking worry about it but the the things that we engage with are the things that we see so a lot of times this particular person will post things on their story and i love the content that that they post and I freaking love it and I'll often repost because I'll be like wow like this is really good but I see none of it like I see none of it I don't struggle with these things and I don't do that work like I don't work with people specifically on weight um I work with people on limiting beliefs identity so the coaches in my feed are more aligned with the people that do that because weight really is not a problem. It's it's a symptom of a problem. It's not a problem. Your weight is not a problem. Um, but but just the fact that she sees all these people talking about the scale, I have never seen a person talking about the scale in my Instagram feed. It does not exist. I don't know one motherfucker that talks about the scale in my Instagram feed. That that's a lie. Maybe one. Maybe one, but she's so fucking funny. I follow her and I, I like all her shit because she's just so hilarious. I love her. But I don't I don't see that at all. Like I don't see these accounts talking about these things because it's not even in my awareness. So sometimes, so somebody might have a perception that all these people struggle with this, but it's like actually it's a very narrow segment of people that, that struggle with this. So your feed really is a mirror of your reticular activating system. I have another client who has been in diet culture and has struggled with her weight. Uh, she resides in a larger body and so she sees in her feed all these people bitching about plus size women. I see none of that, but I also don't engage with any content about plus 
size women. I don't engage with any of that content. When I do engage with that content, I don't go scroll in the comments section to see what people are saying. Like I don't even see it. It's not there. Not to say that it's not there, but if I don't want that to be part of my reality or my awareness, I just push it the fuck out because, you know, my feed right now is all spiritual shit like fucking Ram Dass. I love Ram Dass. Oh, you know, spiritual awakening, all this like happy horse shit zen, you know, I, I actually really do love um, the spiritual shit, but this tone is deliberate for the Get the Fuck Off podcast listeners, um, because it's all shit, really, like every everything that we uh, consume on the internet is a complete load of shit, <laughs> it's all crap. But that's what I see. But before I was a spiritual shit person, I saw all running shit because I was, because what was happening was when I became a runner, I taught myself everything that I knew about running from Instagram. I never did the whole, let me have some inadequacy. I just said, all right, I'm going to go and look at all this running content. So I started following all these runners and liking all this running content. So then my Instagram would go, oh, she's a runner. She likes runners. Let me give her more. So then they'd give me more runners to follow it. Follow it. I'd go liking everything. Every other post was a runner thing. Everything was a before and after. Marathon times, half marathon times, workouts. I just completely reprogrammed the feed so it would give me what I wanted. But I never thought in my mind, this is a microcosm for what the world is because it's not. Your algorithm and what you see is a reflection of what you interact with. That's it. And if you interact with what you're thinking about, then it's a reflection of your brain. And it can be changed at any time. There was somebody that I followed once that was talking about, I feel like there's a lot of noise here. Baby, that's because you got noise in the brain. There isn't a lot of noise here. You got noise in the brain, so you're seeing noise in the feed, and that's what's going on. So that that was something. Um, but when you're talking about people and the way that air quotes people feel, that's all shit. Like you just see what's in your mind in your reticular activating system. In your in your awareness, you don't actually see people. You see yourself out in the world. This is a bigger concept. I try to make it digestible. If it's not digestible, again, send me an email, Andy, A-N-D-E-E, at getthefuckoff.com. I would love to go into it a little bit more. But people are not real. So when we're talking about our, our identity and who we're associating with, if we don't want to be something anymore, but we think that all these people are that thing, it's all fake. It's all fake. It's all made up. It's all just based on what we're focusing on at that moment. There are so many subcultures in society. I have a grand adva- uh, advantage in um, two ways. Number one, I am a sociologist. I have a master's degree in sociology. I studied sociology, fascinated with sociology. Um, two, there might be three advantages. Two, I was a bartender for many years in Times Square. I met people from all over the world every day. I'll tell you a story. So when I was working in, I started working at my job in 2008. And in 2008, we would have periods of time throughout the year where we would get a lot of people from the Middle East. So we would get people in the restaurant from the Middle East. And it would always be like, at a certain time. Like it was like that was when a lot of people in the Middle East took their holiday. I don't remember exactly what it was. June maybe? I don't remember. But in 2008 uh, slash 2009, like that era, there were a lot of families that would come in where the men would sit at a different table than the women. And they would make the women kind of sit separate from the men. And in 2008, 2009, that happened a lot. Um, Also in 2008, I 
took traveler's checks. So this goes to tell you about how the, where the world was at that time. And had I allowed that to be my idea of how people were in the Middle East, I mean, I'm sure that it's that way in the Middle East in some, some places. But by 2018, so 10 years later, that was no longer happening really. Like we didn't see a lot of that. But we saw a lot of that in 2008. But think about like – people taking their families they might have like their eight-year-old their nine-year-old their ten-year-old you know and come into the restaurant with those people well ten years later that eight-year-old nine-year-old ten-year-old is an 18-year-old 19-year-old ten you know like a 20-year-old 10-teen-year-old 20-year-old so like this is and five years after that which we haven't reached yet but like those people probably are starting families of their own or or, or maybe thinking about that so time does move and what we see does get dated about how things are. But just between 2008 and 2018, I saw a complete cultural shift in that area where it went from a a decision where there was an insistence that women would sit separate or sometimes it would be women and children, but usually it was like women and the daughters uh, would sit separate from, you know, men and the sons to not seeing that very much at all so it's it's just interesting to see culture and to see how things are different because a lot of times people will grow up in these you know parts of middle america and they'll be like this is how life is and it's like that life is not like that that's not like that my mother used to say to me yeah need to live in the real world she doesn't say this anymore but this is like remember i'm a firstborn so like i was a complete experiment i mean nobody went and lived in cities before me you need to go live in the real world people in the real world don't do that it's like yes they do um all the time like I love to hear that the real world people people are like this the real world is like this this is all a load of shit (laughs) the real world and people are made up completely made up there's nothing about it um but I have an advantage in that I worked in Times Square and I got to know people from all over the world and then I hung out at Olenny's which is a bar across the street and their clientele was international, so I met a lot of people from all over the world there, even though late at night, generally, it was just us, you know, the staffs. But when the staffs all come together, then you get to talk about all the people from all over the world that you met um, earlier in that day. So I have an, I have an advantage. Um, the sociological aspect of me does have an advantage um, in this idea that what I know about my identity is a load of garbage. Like, it's just crap. That's it. Um... And then I have one final advantage, and this might be the topic of another podcast because it's too big, and I I don't want to get us off. I do want to get us off. I don't want to get us off topic, though, so I'm just going to say it real quick. Um, I have another advantage in that when I was young, when my ego was developing around the five, six-year-old mark, my parents, particularly my father, was very proud of me um I have a a a mentor I've I've been in a program of his couple actually but one one was uh, interactive and the other was one that I consumed on my own Sean Smith and his life's work he's releasing a book uh very soon called Daddy Are You Proud of Me and it and it's all about his work with women over the years and about self-esteem in women and how self-esteem in women is often directly relational to uh, whether or not they felt that their fathers were proud of them. This is not something I knew. This is a, um, a recent 
realization for me. I'm not going to get too deep into it in this podcast, but there is some validity to it in that I'd I'd started asking um, women that I work with and women that I know about this, and it it seems to hold true. Um, Again, I'm not going to get too much into it. But, you know, for all that my father was, my father was kind of crap. Like, actually, he was really crap. Uh, After he and my mother divorced, it was kind of a downward spiral into his anxiety and mental illness and all kinds of stuff. He had a lot of trauma that was unresolved. And he was not a very good father. He did things to spite us. I mean, I could go on about the list of all the crappy things that he did. But when my ego was developing around five, six years old, there was not a doubt in my mind that that man loved me more than anything in the world. And he was proud. And, and um, Sean talks about how it's not about love as much as it is about, is my father proud of me? And my father was proud of me. So I carry an identity forward in my life that says that I'm the greatest fucking thing that there is. Now, granted, I have had periods of self-hate during my addiction. Um, self-hate. Working at my old job, getting stuck there, self-hate. Um, times when I was with... Married men, um, men that didn't treat me well, those kinds of things, complete self-hate. I have had periods of my life where I have definitely been engulfed in self-hate, wanting to die self-hate even. Um, and I, I did not, but I wanted to. I wanted to. There were periods of my life where I wanted to. And by the way, if any of you are feeling this way and it's, it's, a, it's serious – please dial the, the new number for the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline, which is 988. And, uh, you know, you, you are, you're worthy. You know, we want you here. Like, you do not know the ripples that you, um, that you put into this world. Seriously, I, I'm being very serious. 988, if you're having those thoughts. I had thoughts like that. I'm still here. But I have this ability that I do have the capacity for high self-esteem because I can channel that younger version of myself. And I'm not telling you this to make you feel like you're not capable of it if you don't feel like your father was proud of you. Um, I work with my clients on understanding the past in different ways because what we remember about the past is not necessarily accurate. And what you remember may, may um, you know, do you, if you want to have a conversation we can definitely have a conversation. Just reach out to me, Andy, A-N-D-E-E, at getthefuckoff.com because it, it may be very helpful. I'm not, I'm not telling you this so that you could be discouraged. But what I am telling you is that it's all made up. So everything that we feel that we are is made up right down to my idea of being a badass. Like my idea of being fucking great wasn't even my idea. It was given to me. It was fed to me. And you have the ability to change that. You have the ability to change your identity. And you can do it with the manual override. You, you can do it. Um, you can take. And, and there are men, plenty of things that I talked about NLP in the beginning of this podcast. There are plenty of things that through NLP I've been able to understand in a different way because the way your brain remembers things is not accurate. It's not accurate. You remember instances in your life where things happened and they're not accurate. You think that they might be accurate, but they're not. 
So these are, these are things that I do in my work because your idea of who you are and what gives you value and why you have value in that way, what gives you self-esteem, what gives you your drive, what gives you your idea about how you are, it's all made up. It might have been fed to you when you were five or six and you were developing your ego um, and you developed your ego in a way that served you at the time. There are parts of it that are reinforced by society, by social media, by the things that you see around you, by your, if you have a limited scope of people that are around you, you're going to think in a more narrow way. Um, you are the makeup of the five to six closest people in your life. So all of your people, if they are all impoverished drug addicts, that's probably you too. Um, if you have no friends that are millionaires, you're probably not a millionaire. Um, these are just things. These are just things about our identity. Our identity is fluid and it's made up, made up, made up. So I do work with my clients on identity. It's one of the bigger pieces of what I do. Get you to examine your beliefs. Get you to see where they are bullshit, why they are bullshit, how you created them, where they stemmed from, what the people who raised you were like, all kinds of stuff. And it's hard to do it on your own. And it's in, almost impossible because we can't see our own blind spots and we love to tell a long story about why we are right because that's what we've been trained to do but it doesn't serve us so that's all I got today for the get the fuck off podcast everybody I'm so glad that you joined me thank you so much um sorry I wasn't here last week I was traveling to my parents house in Pennsylvania I just didn't feel like sitting in the closet I have to sit in the closet in my brother's old room to record the get the fuck off podcast it doesn't have thick walls and good acoustics like my apartment in New York so I just I just spent time with my family. I'm back this week. Um, if there's anything that any of you want to talk about, if anything resonated with you, if there's anything that you thought was complete and utter BS um, that you heard in this podcast, you can feel free to reach out to me, Andy, A-N-D-E-E, at getthefuckoff.com. If you like this podcast, um, definitely give me a star rating. Leave me a review wherever you're at. You guys can subscribe to the Get the Fuck Off emails, breakfree.getthefuckoff.com. If you like the podcast, you're going to like the emails. That is just as powerful. I know a lot of you probably passively consume this podcast while you're running or walking or on the train or in your car or whatever you're doing. And I love all of you so much for tuning in every week and giving me love. Every time I hear from somebody that finds me through the podcast or has had a, a, a big shift because of the podcast, it just lights me right the fuck up. So thank you all for being here and being loyal listeners of the Get the Fuck Off podcast. I hope you have a wonderful week. Stay safe, stay beautiful, and I'll be back next time.